0: Hey Playwrights. Hey Mabel. Hey Tori. Hey Playwrights.
1: Welcome to Hey Playwright.
0: A podcast about playwriting and
1: life. Hey Tori. Hey Mabel. <laughs> Uh, sup <laughs> <laughs> wow
0: so what have you been up to
1: oh i've been working on... <laughs> so it's funny i have three projects going on right now and two of those three are not going well <laughs> and one of them i gotta love this draft so that is i'm really holding on to that those three words um to give me the strength to get through the other two. But because I'm in denial of the reality of of all the revisions that are in my life right now, I've been watching a lot of television, which is not good because I'm in school. So, you know, when I'm in school, I don't usually watch TV. And so I'm not sure what... I'm in denial, Tori. I'm just not coming to terms with my reality. And I think it's going to bite me in the tushy very soon.
0: I well, I you know I am a fan of having a brain break. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to say TV is the best one. I have to say one thing that's been helping me think through uh issues or challenges is walking my dog. You know, there is something to that. That that it does uh help stimulate that part of your brain, right? And yes. I think I was telling you Mabel that the fees were waived at the shelters over the weekend.
1: <laughs> you did you did mention that and I what I did not tell you was that I went on the website to go look for a dog. Um so spoiler alert, my kids don't listen to the show, but the plan is to get them a dog for one oh week. What kind of dog are you going to get? I I don't know yet where I have to do my research and it's a whole, apparently it's a whole thing. My best friend, Anne is actually Mm -hmm. a big dog person and also a research nerd when it comes to this kinds of stuff. And she also knows our family very well. And so she has offered throughout the years, I've known this girl since we were in high school throughout the years has, has offered her services to do the work to find us a dog. And she's also the godmother of my children. And she um, was the first person to say you've got to get them a dog, uh, so she she's very happy to support this this effort. But we've decided like we're gonna, it's gonna happen. We're gonna get a dog.
0: Yay, Anne! Yeah. Oh, um, that makes my heart so happy. You we'll it, see, I you will not regret it. Your your kids are. We'll see. We'll see. No, it's honestly animals can just bring so much joy into a household and they, you know, dogs can be trained. Cats are a little more of a challenge, but dogs, <laughs> you know, uh, I, think, I think your kids are going to have so much fun. And I think you will too. I think, but just watch dogs are funny. They do pick a human. Oh.
1: They do. If and they so John over me.
0: <gasps> no, you don't want my bell. Okay. Hmm. you do you really want that dog to pick you let's just be honest does
1: does blanco are you blanco's human yeah so so blanco doesn't bug ron or sadie
0: no he bugs them actually okay let me let me back that up because he loves everybody and he loves other dogs so oh my gosh if you you get a dog who likes other dogs play date because he just, he, he really, really loves other dogs, but he does gravitate to me. But I think that's because I walk him.
1: I was going to say I, you're the main person. I'm walking, the caretaker.
0: Right? Well, I'm the, I walk him and I feed him. It's mostly yeah. me. I mean, Ron, Ron will take care of the duty if I don't take care of it, you know? Um, but Did you say
1: duty also? or duty.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 I see what you did there.
1: No, I was uh, a genuine question. Did you say duty or duty?
0: I said duty, like feeding duty. (laughs) (laughs) But it probably did. (laughs) Oh my gosh, probably did sound like duty. No, he. um, But he is just a, 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 a. He's the sweetest. He's the sweetest, and I think it's because he. He is. Mostly husky, but also has Samoyed. Uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. But it, it, they are known for their very friendly, happy. Like those dogs look like they're smiling whenever you see pictures of them. But dude, the amount of hair. Oh, I just was not prepared for the hair. It's It's a lot because he's pure white. So don't wear black pants over here, people. <laughs> or you will go home with Blanco like he will go home with you so we have lots of you know lint uh, rollers lint rollers everywhere but you know what He he's just so happy and when he knows you're going to take him for a walk you would think he loses his mind or if another dog comes over he loses his shit he's like "Wow!" <laughs> it's like having a toddler so excited you know
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah.
0: Loves going to the dog park. He loves, we take him to a, like a play place. And if I know that somebody's coming over to work on something, to service something, I'll take him to the play place. And the other day I pulled up, I parked and I have to be careful when I open the back door to get him out. Cause he will bolt. He's so excited wherever we are. Um, and so I opened the door and he, bolted out and I thought oh my god I thought he was going to run out into the street but he ran right to the door of the play place and it was perfectly ajar and he pushed it open with his nose and <laughs> ran in like well that's good I mean that's good because he loves going there they have cameras where you can log in and watch them so when we went out of town and sent him there once we were able to check up and see how he was doing so Aww. yeah yes yeah, so I I'm happy for you all.
1: All right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll keep you posted. So, Hey Playwright Season 6 should be filled with a lot of uh, complaining on my part. Oh, yeah, and a lot of, <laughs> shut up!
0: <laughs> Either that, or it'll be you showing me with your camera the little dog sleeping at your feet while you're recording.
1: Oh. We'll see. I don't know. I'm, I'm keeping my expectations low, but I just know that, that a pet is coming. A pet is coming. Oh, because you know, my kid, um, he let the praying mantis go Tori. you know, I told you earlier yeah. this week that, and because my, my son is so desperate for a pet that he, um, adopted a praying mantis, but, but got it crickets and everything. But then I think he felt bad and was just like, I think I'm just going to let him go. And so he let him go and,
0: that oh, was the right thing to do. I,
1: I yeah. felt very sad for him. I was like, he really just wants a pet. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like, oh, okay.
0: Yeah. No, and honestly, um, I see pictures of of people who've gotten pets with their kids, sleeping with their kids, and I think I think he is just going to have a blast. Yeah. Yep. We
1: shall see. Uh speaking of joys, Tori. Um, so walking your pet brings you joy. Um, do you know what brings me joy? Tell me. <laughs> every once in a while. That's not, true, not Every once in a while. It's like I get certain emails that bring me great joy that I that are like newsletters. Um and so there's there's like two newsletters that I really super love. There's the Austin Cleon newsletter so austin cleon wrote a book called steal like an artist um and it's what it sounds like just tips on how to steal like an artist um and he has a newsletter that sends information that i've actually used in our playwriting classes but just like tips just it's about creativity and making art and and you know there's book recommendations cool quotes poems um just all kinds of interesting things uh and it's He's we should share free... this in the
0: show notes.
1: Yes, we should. He's got yeah. a it's a free version, but I think you can subscribe to a a paid version, and I think that has that has more. But I'm I'm at the free version level, and I'm satisfied with the free version. But hey, if you've got that extra that extra change to spare, then then hook up Mr. Cleon. Um, so that's one that makes me really happy, and the other one that makes me super happy is a newsletter by the Los Angeles Times called The Latinx Files. And I super love it because it covers uh, all things Latinx, but it's like very, lots of book recommendations, interviews, um, and then Latinx pop culture. And so one of my new favorite shows is called This Fool. Have you heard of that one, Tori? No. No. You gotta see it. You gotta see it because there is a joke... That if you do the kind of work that we do, you will totally understand. Um, okay. <laughs> and it's like, oh my gosh, that some people, some people think that um, the the humor is is like derivative or whatever. I'm just like, man, it it brings me great joy. My sister, Big fan. like I got her into it. it it's I just think it's what? an awesome show. What network Hulu. is
0: that on? Okay. Hulu. Okay. Yes, wait, I gotta write it oh wait we're recording (laughs) it's gonna (laughs) write it down (laughs) like wait a minute let me write it down oh (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah this fool on on hulu and and there's a great interview uh that was published in this newsletter the latinx files um but tori to my great delight As I was reading a a newsletter a few months ago in the Latinx Files, one of the folks that was recommended, or one of the pieces that was recommended in there was an op-ed written by a friend of the show, Daniel Olivas, who happens to be our guest today. Yeah. So I was, I was overjoyed to see his name in there and um, and we're excited that uh, he will be on the show today and you will learn all about how fabulous he is. But if you don't know who Daniel Olivas is, he's the author of 10 books including one of the best titles I've ever heard for a book, How to Date a Flying Mexican, New and Collected <laughs> Stories. His first full-length play, Waiting for Goldiness," was selected for Playwrights Arena Summer Reading Series, the Rose Theatre's 12th Annual Playwrights Festival, and the Gary Marshall Theatre New Works Festival. Olivas was selected for Circle X Theatre Company's inaugural emerging playwrights group to adapt his novel, The Book of Want, for reading in 2021. And his play "Waiting for Godot" received a world premiere in 2021 in a Playwrights Arena production. So, without further ado, yes, the Playwrights interview with Daniel Olivas. Hey, Tori. Hey, Mabel.
2: Hey, hey Daniel. Mabel.
1: <laughs> I still don't hey, know Tori. if that worked. Wait, wait, we're wait! I like
2: to say, hey, Tori.
1: <laughs> hey. <laughs> Yeah, like, should Daniel have said, hey, Tori oh, and yeah. Like, how does that work?
0: Is it hyphenated? I don't know. I don't know either.
1: <laughs>
0: I feel like it is a, mar- it is a is marriage. Is it Slash? It, it is Tori a podcast slash marriage. Is this a,
2: is this a <laughs> writing prompt? Ah. Oh, no.
1: Could be. Isn't everything a writing prompt? Look at us getting all existential. How appropriate! Gosh, Daniel. What? I have to tell you that we are so... I think we're so impressed by your life. You, you do so
0: many things. So really, if you could just start with, who are you, Daniel? Who are <laughs> you? What is, it, what is it you do in your community? And then talk about how you oh, came to theater. You folks
2: are so welcoming and kind. Um, who am I? Boy, existential. I am, I am the grandson of Mexican immigrants. My grandparents came from Chihuahua and Jalisco in 1920 to L.A., so my people have been here for 100 years and despite that many people believe people like me do not belong so one of the driving forces in my life has been um, to make people who are like me who look like me and my family and my and, and my community um, know that they belong and so i have two parts of my life in my day job i'm a senior government lawyer with the california department of justice I do land use, environmental enforcement, and affordable housing. And I run a team of about 45 attorneys and paralegals. Um, and in my other life, I'm a, a fiction writer, poet, playwright, uh, book critic. Um, and um, I've written 10 books, um, edited two anthologies, and um, now have had three plays produced, neither readings or Um, the stage. And I came to playwriting very late in life. I wrote my first play, Waiting for Guadinas, which is a response to the family separation program that the last administration was pushing. Um, I wrote that in 2019. Uh, My first play, I was age 60 when I wrote it. I'm 63 now. And um, I don't have an MFA. I have a law degree from UCLA. I have a degree in English from Stanford, um, but no MFA. I have I never took a creative writing class. Um, I took just one semester at age 40 of a short story class in community college because it was a gift from my wife. She said, since you're writing, since you're writing for a year, why don't you take a class? So I took a class and I realized, not only is my wife very supportive and wonderful and she's my law school sweetheart, she's a judge, She is, um, she very wisely had me do that because it taught me two things. One, I love writing fiction creatively. And two, I'm done with school (laughs) and maybe law school did that. Um, so, so my journey to writing all came very late. I started writing fiction as an adult at age 39. And once I started getting published, I just couldn't stop writing. Um, The reason why I started to um, write my first play in twenty nineteen was because um, I had had actors perform my short stories before, and in like you know book festivals and things like that. And it was just so amazing to have an actor like bring a new view of my fiction uh, through their acting. And 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 every single time that's happened. I feel like I'm not even listening to my own words. It feels like something new and different. And so I realized that the anti-immigrant policies of the last administration were so gross and so bizarre, the word that came to my mind was absurd. So I felt like the most appropriate way to address the um, anti-immigrant rhetoric and politics of the Trump administration was to write a play that was based in absurd theater. And, of course, the great absurdist playwright is Samuel Beckett. Um, I read just a couple plays by Samuel Beckett in high school. I read Endgame, and I I read Waiting for Godot. I had taken, in 1975, in high school when I was 16, Loyola High School. Um, I took a drama class. I took a class on American theater. uh, Not American theater, I'm sorry, on contemporary theater. So we read... Of course, they're all white male, right? <laughs> so all the plays in 1975 in this wonderful class. So you know Samuel Beckett, and uh, we read. Let's see, we read Equus, and um,
1: you another one who read Equus and in high school. I, thought, That's so I saw Equus in
2: 1975. Anthony Hopkins played the lead. He played the psychiatrist. I saw it in 1975. I went with my girlfriend who laughed during a nude scene so I realized that it was not going to last very long <laughs> <laughs> oh no so it's a, so so oh, in no. I was reading these amazing plays you look back in anger um, uh, uh, um, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf so um, reading these plays and I loved theater because of my parents I loved movies I loved TV So my brain was already kind of churning with ideas. Oh, I would love to. I can't imagine. What if I wrote a play? What if I wrote a script? Jump forward many, many years later at age 60, I write my first play. (laughs) So, so those seeds stay in there, right? Once they're planted. And, um, um, and one of the things that I loved about writing, Waiting for Godot," which just got picked up as one of five finalists for the um, Gary Marshall Theater New Works Festival. Um, so my play will have yet a third reading um, uh, with a, a director and actors, and, and, and so I'm really excited about that. But, but one of the great things about teaching myself how to write a play was I had already I read plays throughout my life, so I kind of, I knew the structure, I knew what worked for me. Uh, but in order to truly write something that was inspired by Waiting for Godot, I I, I purchased a new copy because my high school copy was long gone. I read it many times. Then I went online and watched multiple versions of it. Um, and the Michael Lindsay Hogg version from, I think, 2001, 2002 is probably the version that I most fit with my sensibilities. But I saw some crazy versions. I saw one in Spanish, which is nuts, from like the early 60s or 70s. <laughs> it just It's just so crazy. Um, um, I saw one from the early 60s with Zero Mostel and Burgess Meredith. And this is back when network television, I think it was NBC or CBS, used to broadcast on a regular basis. Oh, plays. It wasn't they PBS? Take, they would take plays. It wasn't PBS I know. back in the day. You know, uh, Patty Chayevsky, yeah, you, you all these writers who would do plays and they would be performed. And so they took um, Waiting for Godot and kind of shortened it a bit and then produced this amazing version of it. Uh, I don't think it was live. It could have been, but I, I don't think it was. And And, you know, Zero Mostel and Burgess Meredith, two of the most brilliant, crazy actors um, of the time, um, performing these roles just kind of yet again opened up another avenue in my brain of the um, kind of humor that could be used. You know, this play is one of the funniest plays ever written. And some people don't agree. Some people have difficulty with it. I just love it. And I don't know if you folks have had a chance to read my version, my version of the play, but we can talk about that and how I try to use kind of Mexican and Chicano humor um, in, in, in my characters to kind of reflect how my brain works um, as inspired by um, um, Samuel Beckett. So anyway, that's a long answer to a short question.
0: Oh, I could listen to you talk all day, <laughs> uh, but yes, I, I, I loved your play. I thought it was quite brilliant. And there were, uh, I even pulled out some lines that just kind of stuck with me and you're, y- y- I think you captured the humor so well. Um, and also as, as an artist, you know, as artists, I think hearing um, some of, some of those words, that get really resonated Delicious. with me something like words matter until they do not and <laughs> and the, the light about all the bible stories are exciting except for the begats, <laughs> the, begots.
2: the, begots. the, begots. the
0: begots. <laughs> and everyone reads novels or at least they say they do <laughs> so funny. just a, so ma- there were so many funny lines that i i i just i didn't even i stopped you know, writing them down. I just thought this is like full of, full of humor and observational humor. Um, that I think was like a great reflection for anyone reading it or watching it to self-reflect. So I, I enjoyed, (laughs) I enjoyed it. I
2: really appreciate that. And there's also a lot of physical humor when we, when we did the shorter pandemic version last year in outdoor stage, um, with playwrights arena, um, I got to see the physical part of the play, um, and and physically it, it is uh, there's a lot going on, and I'm not certain if it's reflected by your reading of it, but um, there are there are some very long sequences of silence uh, that come through um, in the um, in the fully staged live version.
1: So. You had been writing for it sounds like oh, about twenty years or 20, 20 plus years before you you tried your hand at playwriting. So what was it? What like why did you finally decide like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna see this I wanted I want to try my hand at playwriting.
2: I had written bits and pieces of plays in my 2011 novel The Book of Want. Uh, it's a metaphysic, it's kind of a meta novel um, written in in multiple viewpoints and different styles. And in that novel, the epilogue is a short play. And I use the stage directions um, in the same way a novelist would use just kind of third person omniscient narrative to explain what's going to happen to my two main characters. Um, so in 2011, I was already beginning to structure you know, dialogue in in play format. Um, Trump's um, truly offensive anti-immigrant rhetoric and policies had already inspired me to write short stories and and essays um, addressing what he was doing um, politically. And it, it really, again, it was a family separation policy that was like, The last straw, it just, I was so angry with the, um, human rights violations occurring, um, under that policy, which was designed to terrorize, uh, would be immigrants and to punish, um, folks who had come here without papers. So when I wrote the play, I wrote the play in 13 days. And that's 13 days while carrying a day job as a government lawyer. So I wrote in the morning, I wrote at night, every night about three hours, and then I wrote on weekends. And in 13 days, I wrote wrote the play and started to submit it. And then it first got picked up by Playwrights Arena. Um, So it was sort of a a dramatic form, um, primal scream on my part. I don't know if it's reflected in the play itself yeah. because there's a lot of humor in it and it's, it is a controlled play in many ways in the same way Beckett controls you know, his plays because that he was my big influence. But there's so much seething anger under it. Um, Trump's never mentioned because frankly, I've seen this type of anti-immigrant um, crap my entire life. I was born in 1959 in Los Angeles, and I've seen it for decades. And and we're still, even though our current administration is a billion times better, our broken immigration system just is not being fixed because immigrants are used as a political football repeatedly, so the House and Senate cannot do anything to fix what needs to be fixed. And, um, you know, a presidential Orders can only go so far because you know we you know DACA is still tied up in the courts. So um, in any event, my hope is that the play, my play, when it's performed, can humanize the tragedy um, that has been unfolding um, for decades, um, um, but but really heightened under Trump. Um, I also want to write intelligent full roles for Latinx actors. And, and I've now worked for do, with dozens of actors and, and the comments I receive from them, oh my God, it just, it fills my heart. It, you know, to, to have them say, oh my God, thank you for writing a role. That's not stereotypical. That is uh, full, that is complex. That is, you know, a bunch of things that they're not seeing. And I also like writing roles, um, for people of all ages. You know, I'm sixty-three, so I I, I I wanna have roles that can be played by by people of, of all ages. I think that's really, really important. And I want and I, I write, I think, very strong female roles, you know, um, for women identifying actors who um who wanna have a role that does not fall into the same old kind of stereotypical claptrap, you know. Um and and the response from my actors has been exactly that they've been there's there's been a strong support for the work I'm doing and and that just makes me so incredibly happy.
0: Oof. Yes, boring. you're an inspiration. 13 days. <laughs> Holy cow.
1: Um, <laughs> and working a yeah. And working and a like full-time job. Lord.
2: And well, like that's God what Anger would That's what work. anger would do. That's Martin what anger Norman would do. says.
1: That's right, for
0: you know, writing from rage, Marshall. <laughs> <started. laughs> right from rage, right but from but rage. you know what?
2: Remember, writing, and we, and you're a writer, so you know this. Writing is not the actual 13 days; it was it was the right. about two two months or three months prior of reading and rereading the original Waiting for Godot, watching multiple versions of of it digesting it digesting it watching reading watching reading never outlining i never outline i i don't even as a lawyer i don't outline anymore because my brain does it automatically because i i've i'm well, old you used and i've to already been there done you that
1: because i just want to like
2: <laughs> oh, oh not not in my creative writing actually no in my so, legal like, writing it's already to, like built I used to in outline. there right because I, like...
1: I think that's yeah anyway <laughs>
2: It's built in there. And, and also, you know, I don't want to be bored when I write. And I think outlining will make it really boring. For me, everyone has a different way of approaching it. I'm not telling writers, don't outline, because some writers need it. And that's wonderful. God bless them. I don't. I want everything I write to be new and exciting and different and, and like, a fun journey. And, and I want to explore. You're and preaching
1: to Tori's choir. <laughs>
0: Now so <laughs> yeah you are. Ah! So my question is so you were inspired by Waiting for Godot, you digested it, you kind of used that that mm-hmm. skeleton idea. Do you feel um are you working on anything new that is coming that you are just doing from scratch? So I guess my question is do you feel like maybe it it was set up, I don't want to say easier, Mm -hmm. but you kind of had an idea of what that structure was going to look like as opposed to coming up with something. Right.
2: So that's a good, very good point. The Waiting waiting for for Godot gave me um, the skeleton. You're right. but um, And then when I adapted my uh, novel, The Book of Want for the Stage with Circle X Theater last year, My novel, that novel became sort of the skeleton as well. But that's a skeleton where I moved the pieces around because I had to turn a novel into a dramatic piece into something that worked on a different level. And I didn't outline that. I I borrowed hefty chunks from the novel, but I had to recreate in my mind, what the structure was, and what was really fun about working with Circle X was that was a that that was a uh, an emerging writing uh, emerging playwrights group where we would bring pages every couple of weeks and we would work through what we did. And working with other people was kind of fun because then that kind of helped me kind of move the furniture around and figure out what uh, this not working and and and, and develop it. <laughs> And I like to think that that play in some ways was a good model for me in terms of how I would work in future plays in in what I want to do. Um, I, I don't think I'm going to, if I ever do outline in the future, it would be a very rough, rough, rough outline. Very rough. At least maybe kind of if it's multiple characters, maybe kind of, do it by character, you know, um, the book of want that play has 18 characters. Um,
0: is there double casting or so is it double casting full? would be 12 actors.
2: And when we did that, mm. we, we did a reading, wow. that, a zoom reading and we had 12 actors. Oh my God. It was amazing. Wow. And, and I like to consider that play my basically a Chicano version of, uh, of our town, and um, and I didn't realize that when I wrote it. Um, oh, that would be I, I didn't realize so... that because it's it, the, the our town for my play for uh, um, the book of want is Los Angeles, and in my novel, one of my recurring characters is the grand dead grandmother who uh, Belen who appears at various moments in in, in the novel. And she's smoking a big fat hand rolled cigarette and she's drinking her coffee and she's burping and she's just like interfering with everyone's life. And she appears in the novel that way. Well, I turned her into my narrator in the play. Kind of like the stage manager in Our Town. But I had not read our I mean, I read Our Town when I was 16. So. When I was writing this play, I was 62, and I had not read Our Town since 816. I'd seen one version on TV with with Paul Newman a few years back, which was really well done. So I, I think kind of like in my subconscious, I took the structure of Our Town and kind of made it my own. So, um, so when I was developing the play, um, the other playwrights in the group were saying, Oh, this feels like *Our Town* kind of, sort of, but you know, (laughs) a Chicano version. (laughs) And I thought, oh, but I didn't want to reread *Our Town* as an adult, as a grown-up, until I finished the play. And then we had a reading, and it was done. And then I decided I'm going to go get a copy of *Our Town* because my high school copy is long gone. And um, I read it, and I thought, oh my god. Oh my god, I think I think I think that's how I'm gonna market <laughs> my, my play.
0: <laughs> I need to I need to read it. Oh, it's I want to read it. Is it okay? Right on. Um so. Did you cross paths at Circle X in yes. case? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So I, I know. Gosh, the, the, I'm t- the, the theater world. Mabel and I have talked about this. for as vast as it, it seems, is. is actually pretty small. Yeah. So I also wanted to say, I believe, um, did Richard Asuria, did was he in? We were in a short film together in LA, so I was looking at the cast list and I went, Oh my gosh, Richard and I did this years ago, and he was so wonderful. He what part did he
2: play? <laughs> oh, he played, piso mojado. Oh, god. he was and hilarious! He was, amazing. <laughs> he was absolutely hilarious! Oh my god, and then he was also so. He was a literary So agent, yeah, he was <laughs> a literary agent in 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 waiting for Godotinas, and then he also was um, in the um, a Zoom reading of um, uh, the Book of Want, and um, he played. Uh, wow. oh, I forget what role we had. So many actors. We had twelve actors in that, but he was wonderful. Um and and so because of that experience, when I was being asked for you know actor ideas, I always included him and all my other actors I had I worked with. Um, on the first production, uh, first reading of "Waiting for Godot," um, and and some of them were able to come on board. Like Savina, Savina is just amazing. Um, she um, um, she was in 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 uh, Uncle Vanya, in L.A. Um, and uh, her, I, I want to make sure I have her full name because um, here it is. So um, the original production first reading of Waiting for Codinas, um Isabel was played by Savina Zuniga uh, Varela, who's just an amazing actor. She's just, she's, I will work with her any day. And um, Adrian Gonzalez played Jesus. And, he, you know, he's been on TV and he's just, he's just amazing. Um, Piso played by Richard Offer um, um, Alfredo Nadella was played by Abigail Marks. And I'd seen her before in a uh, production um, and I'm blanking in which theater, but uh, very talented. And then the child was played by a grown-up um, Eddie Grise, and Eddie is a sweetheart. Uh, but he had very long hair. And our stage stage directions hey! were read by Diana Burbano. Oh yes, which, um, <laughs> you know, you know, talk about yes. world, you know. And and my 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 newest my newest <laughs> yes. uh, the newest edition of the dramatist. She um, she does the report um, for the uh, Southern California, um, you know, what's happening in theater and, um, you know, she's such a talented, talented, talented playwright and, you know, she's an actor as well. And I think she started doing playwriting because mm-hmm. she was fed up with, um, the lack of roles for her. So,
0: yeah, we interviewed her to talk about, um, fabulous uh, monsters.
2: So, um, yeah. I,
0: She's. She is. She she is amazing. So,
2: um, um, in any event, I've been real. I've been so blessed with with the actors, and then my directors. Oh my God, um, Dr. Daphne um, Sikre, who's a professor at LMU. um, She um, she was my first director. Now, I mean, she's and she's now directed three of my. um, She she directed the first Zoom reading. Waiting for Gwadina, she she directed the Zoom reading of The Book of Want. And then she directed the stage pandemic version of Waiting for Gwadina's last year, which we called Waiting because we shortened. We had to shorten the play so there was no intermission. I had to write the masks into the play. So that became, the pandemic became, because the actors oh, were, wearing, wow. were wearing shields. And And... Okay. Um, um, and then Sara Guerrero um, directed um, for the Road Theater a version, a Zoom oh. reading of Waiting for Godot. And Sara is from Fire. Um, yes. uh, With Breath of Fire, I think she right, yep. the founder, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. she was wonderful, and and was so beautiful for me as a writer to work with these two women who were just so brilliant, and they understood what I was doing, and they asked such good questions. And they respected the text, but they also posed in, important questions for me to think about.
0: How do you balance all of it? Because you're an attorney and you <laughs> lead a team of how many did you say?
2: Forty-five right now. Yeah.
0: Forty-five. How? How are you doing it? Because you are so Well, prolific. number one,
2: um, I love my day job because I work with amazing people and we're doing important work on the environment and affordable housing and uh, our attorney general. Rob Bonta is just a brilliant, dedicated man. Um, the, um, I don't golf. I, I don't watch sports on TV. So when you take those two things, that's hours and hours of time for me to write. Plus, I'm a fast writer. You know, Being a lawyer has taught me um, how to write fast, how to edit fast. How not to be afraid of killing my little darlings, cutting, 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 getting to the, to, you know, the true source of, of what I'm trying to say. Um, And in fact, I think my creative writing has made me a better legal writer because a talented lawyer knows how to write to an audience and tell a story. You know, an unsuccessful lawyer thinks, oh, I just have, you know, I can just, use passive language, and just, as long as I have the right citations, that's all I need to do, just kind of make the argument. And those kind of lawyers forget that the readers of the memos and the briefs are people who get bored, they're busy, they're not being touched by that kind of boring writing. So, um, so my legal writing has gotten more storytelling-like and more, um, I, I think, richer, uh, much more active. And, um, so, so it seems to work. And, you know, I've, I've known a fair number of lawyers who are also creative writers. So it's not unusual for the profession to kind of produce people who are also writing novels and short stories. Uh, you know, like Michael Nava, who's a wonderful crime novelist, um, Isha Maya Murray, who blurred my most recent short story collection, How to Date a Fly Mexican? She's a professor of law at a loyal, a loyal law school in LA, and she's an amazing novelist and short story writer and playwright. Um, you know, went to Stanford Law. Just a brilliant person. <laughs> so you know, we exist. It's not, it's not, it's not that unusual to have. Now it might be more unusual to see the dentist novelist or dentist. You know, uh, uh, playwright, but it's not so unusual to see the lawyer writer, right? I, I mean, I, that's something that guess it does
1: of, make sense. It it does it does make sense. But I think I had only ever made that connection with one other practicing lawyer, and I can't remember her name. But she write she she writes like romance, um, fantasy type books. But yeah, it totally it makes sense. You're right.
2: And you know what? I bet dollars to donuts that the lawyer-writer majored in English literature in college. Because there's a ton of us. Because in order to be a lawyer, most people, um, you don't have to major in poli-sci. You can major in anything to go to law school, right? And the vast majority of lawyers I know who are writers, also married, I, I'm sorry, also a um, uh, uh, um, studied English literature and focused on 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 books in college, and actually probably worked for some college publication. and And um, uh, it's it's funny, my mind started to go down to the next. <laughs> I was going to say that most lawyers I know are also married to other lawyers, <laughs> and, which is very true. My <laughs> wife's a lawyer, you know, judge, and um, um uh, but that's the other thing. In order to do what I do, I have a very loving, supportive spouse who understands that I need to do this crazy thing of writing. She understands that. And, and I think, you know, in a marriage, uh, you have to be able to let the other person grow and do new things and support them in those other things that they do. Um, And, and not, and not feel like, oh my gosh, that's taking that person away from, you know, you know, from doing other activities, but frankly, being a writer kind of is, in many ways, very safe <laughs> because I'm home just writing, right? <laughs> I'm not on a golf course or out, you know, going to football games and drinking beer in the stadium. So,
1: uh, so do you write every day?
2: No, I I do something related to writing every day, okay. And and those things include reading. Always reading. Um, I, one of the things I do is I, I tend to uh, give a lot of coverage in terms of interviews, having published interviews with other writers. So, um, um, you know, I, so I'm reading novels and short stories and then I end up and typically with um, covering Latinx writers um, or I'm communicating with someone in the writing industry. So, you know, I'm working, you know, having to send materials over to a uh, a writer's festival where I'm going to be a guest or I'm um, um, reading reviews of plays or um, reading reviews of books. So there's something always kind of going on, um, you know, in the evening for me during the week, during the work week. Um, And then when I go on walks um, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about plots. I'm thinking about stories. I'm thinking about um, um, things I want to write, and um, I think writing is a twenty-four hour a day job. I think it's something that's happening even when I'm dreaming. Sometimes I'm I'm dreaming my way through plots. You know, when I'm working on a short story, for example, and I'm trying to figure out, okay, how, where's it going to go? What's going to happen? Sometimes I dream the next step. Because it's my brain's working, and I learned that from high school. I had a wonderful geometry teacher, Father Wiggins. I went to Catholic high school, Fa- Father Wiggins, and he, yes, his name sounds exactly the way he looked. He had, you know, he was kind <laughs> of like disheveled, and he has hair, all this white <laughs> hair. Wonderful guy, love it. Smoked like a chimney, and because it was the seventies, and um, so Father Wiggins said, whenever you had a problem you know, a geometry problem you were trying to work through. Before you go to bed, just kind of look at it one more time. And I promise you in the morning, the answer will come to you. And you know what? It worked. It worked every single time. It worked every single time for what? me. And I just couldn't believe it. And maybe it was just the power of suggestion. Maybe I already knew the answer and I just, it just wasn't apparent to me yet, but it works. It works for me too, from a uh, creative standpoint.
0: uh, what you're saying really resonates with me about how it's a 24 hour a day job because um, like you, I don't typically outline. Sometimes I might jot down, you know, uh, like a sequence of events, but for the most part, I do not. But what I do is I carry ideas around for a long time, you know, and then uh, if something comes up, I use my phone mm-hmm. to take notes like oh so I don't forget I don't I don't want to forget this line or this word that it popped up but I I love that because yes constantly carrying those stories around working them out thinking of the plot twists about what if what if this happens what if that happens so I I love that <laughs> i feel i feel very validated by this conversation daniel well good
2: i'm 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 here to validate, and one of the things that that is true is that sometimes it's i carry something around for years I carry an idea around mm-hmm. for years mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. and sometimes in it comes out eventually as a short story or as an essay um one of the thing, one of the th- great things my parents gave gave to us and my dad passed in uh 2020 and my most recent short story collection um is dedicated to him it's the first of my books that um was published without him here physically um and you know i, I think about what they gave to their five kids and that was an appreciation of our culture um, um Books, 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 uh, library cards, you know. Um, and and also um we'd watch TV. And this is back in the 60s 70s. So before cable, before multiple channels, you know, we'd watch some old movie on TV, and my dad would point, you know, so-and-so that actor, you know, he's half Mexican, or oh, you know, <laughs> he changed the name. You know, she they're from Chihuahua, you know, and 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 he there was always a point of pride whenever he could locate. You know, like Anthony Quinn, who was actually a cousin of his, like a second cousin. You know, uh, Anthony Quinn, of course, is, is, has roots in Mexico from the state of Chihuahua, where my, my dad's family is from. And, and actually, there's a great family resemblance uh, to him. Um, you know, he'd point him out and he's, oh, you know, a great actor. But, but my dad in particular, he had, he had had dreams of being a published writer um, when he was a young man. A young father. Uh, I'm the middle of five kids, so when I was a baby, he um, worked in a factory in Watts, and my mom was a homemaker. Um, you know, he had come back from the Korean War after fighting as a Marine, and then and then he and my mom courted and got married, started a family. He would write on a um, uh, an old Royal uh, Quiet Deluxe portable typewriter, which I have now. Um, and, um, he said that he used to write right next to me cause he worked the night shift in the factory. So during the day he typed his poetry and his fiction and I was, he said I was nearby in the crib and, um, he never got published. So he destroyed all his writing, put away his typewriter, at least for, for creative writing. And he and my mom eventually went to community college, got their AA's, and then um he um eventually got college, a college, full college degree, and then a master's. And so he eventually got a job where he wore a suit to work, you know. But he always always um made certain he had a book with him. He was always, you know, thinking about um, um words. You know, he said people are successful if they can c- communicate in writing. And so when, when I became a lawyer, he was very proud. But when I published my first book, oh, my God, he was just ecstatic. So in the last few months of his life, I would visit him in Ventura. They retired in Ventura. I would drive out there, take a day off from work and spend um, some time with him. And he just wanted to talk about writing. And at that time... You know, I had written one play, and I was, you know, beginning to work on another one. And he, he was just so he marveled at that, and he loved it, and he wanted to talk about it. He said, "You know, Somerset Mom said that playwriting was the hardest of all the creative arts. Um, mm-hmm. you know, why are you, why are you playwriting? How could you do this?" You know. And so we talked about it. <laughs> uh, my short story collection, uh, which came out this year, How to Date a Flying Mexican um, grew out of those discussions because it's it's essentially a collection of my favorite stories that have been published last over 20 years or so, plus a few new ones. And the title story, How to Date a Flying Mexican, is actually a chapter from my novel, The Book of Want. And that was his favorite of all my stories, because it had a lot of Mexican humor in it. And there was... Um, um, the magic, had just made him so happy and the title alone made him laugh. So, so it, he was a deep, deep, deep influence in, in, in terms of my writing and my, and my mom, who was going to be 90 in September, um, she had always, you know, she was a teacher. She be, had become a, a a Head Start teacher and then opened up her own school. You know, she was always concerned about language and, you know, she wasn't going to be a writer, but, but she she cared about um, how we communicated and how we um, expressed ourselves and how we expressed our culture and what we did. Um, so she's been a big, um, a real big supporter of um, you know of my life and as a writer.
1: That's that's really beautiful. Um, and uh, I read how to date a flying Mexican. Um, so I just have to ask because I know her mother shows up for her. Do you ever think your father is, is hanging around when you're writing or?
2: So, you know, in, in, in Latin American culture, when someone passes, we say, um, presente, you know, present, right. And, you know, when we say their name and then we say presente and, and, that sentiment, I think means a lot of things. It means not only we are we are the result of those particular people who have passed people we love who helped shape us but i think in the mexican culture and this is probably why i use a lot of magical realism in my in my in my um, writing in the mexican culture the curtain between this physical life and whatever is beyond is a very very thin curtain you know and it is something that is sort of, kind of inculcated in in how we kind of view the world, and certainly how I view the world. So, um, uh, you know, I talk to my dad still. You know, so yeah, I mean, I think people, and even though I'm no longer Catholic, I converted to Judaism in 1988, and I am so I am I am Jewish um, by religion. Um and that comes through in some of my fiction in my other writing. Um, you know, there is still in me a very strong cultural acceptance of um something that is beyond his physical world. Um and and so I think my dad, um I think he's smiling and he's smiling right now as we're talking. So
0: Mm, that really touched me. Thank you for sharing that.
2: Well, thank you for having me and opening up a, a topic that is near and dear to me. My father, a few years before he passed, he gave me all his books on writing poetry. And I I dearly appreciated that he gave them to me, but I did not read them. I did not want to read them. I didn't want to like <laughs> mess up my brain with... Um, something that, with the creative process, that is, um, to me, something that is um, just an exploration on, on my own part. And I'm not putting down MFA programs. I'm not putting down people who take classes. Obviously, you know, I, d- I did a emerging playwrights group process. So clearly, you know, the I believe in the pedagogic process, I understand that. But there's something about just reading the actual work of others and then and watching a lot of plays, for me, seems to be the best way for me to produce something that's true to myself, and that works, It's clearly it's working, because professional theaters are picking up my plays and producing them for readings or for the stage so clearly what I'm doing is working um, I I don't think I would want to take a class in playwriting I just you know I watched some of the masters you know online and I, it makes me really nervous it just I like break out in a cold sweat because I don't want to um, I don't want to over intellectualize what I do yeah. If that makes, I don't, I don't know if that I makes appreciate any sense.
1: That. Yeah,
2: but 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 I'm not putting it down because I know both of you have been. I was Uh-oh. listening to the last episode, um, and and I know you you both have been taking cl- yeah,
1: classes. Yeah, I would say that most of the classes are right? like reading reading work. It's like what you do. You oh, talk, yeah. When you're yeah. saying like oh. Oh, I'm not doing MFA like that to me that's that's what yeah. a, a, an MFA program is. A lot of it's reading plays and and learning from from the, the, you know, the texts that are out there. So, um, so I think it's, I, I mean, everybody has their way, but I, mm-hmm. I like you hate intellectualizing the process. Cause it's like, you just, you just know, you just feel it. It's, 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 it's an instinct.
2: It's mm-hmm. an instinct, but it's an instinct that, um, is developed with hard work. I mean, right you know, I'm doing the hard work of, of reading and writing and editing. Right and reading, and writing, and editing, you know, so I'm, I'm doing that, and I'm now afraid of that, and actually, that process, though hard work, I consider it to be extremely fun. The other thing is, you know, I'm 63, Uh, you know, if I'm lucky, I have another 20 years on this earth. I want to just, (laughs) I I have so much I want to produce, I just, I just, and it makes my head spin, you know, the fact that, um, you know, I will die at some point, and then that's it, you know, I'll, maybe, I'll, maybe there's another life. I have no idea. And so once I die, the stories that I tell are going to stop, you know, and whatever I produced that's out there is going to be what I, what's out there and that's it, you know? And so I feel like, oh, I got too much. To, I got too much to say, too much to do, too many, too many stories to tell and and, and too many roles to create for actors. and, it's just, it's frustrating. It's like, ah, I need more time. I wish I didn't sleep.
1: <laughs> so, Tori, asking for a friend. What do we got?
0: All right. Hopefully, I word this correctly. <laughs> if I don't, Mabel, jump in and correct it. Okay. Mabel's is hydrometer. <laughs> oh, yeah, so you you'll have to, you'll have to, have to wait for, for that episode.
1: <laughs> like, no, joke. I shouldn't. That No, that no, 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 yeah. I know. That's I know, an existential I know. question. Yeah. What is a dramaturg?
0: Here we go. Yes. yes Daniel.
1: <laughs> Who
0: would you wait for?
2: Who would I wait for? I'd wait for myself. I wrote a, I wrote a <laughs> short story on exactly <laughs> that. It's called The Fabricator. It's in my short story collection that Mabel owns, The Fabricator. It's a science fiction piece. That ending has disturbed many people. So I w- I wait for myself, because you know what I'm forever becoming, and I don't know what I'm going to be at the end. I have no idea.
1: <laughs> I love that. You're- Maybe
2: I'll grow my hair back. <laughs> I used to have beautiful. I used to have beautiful hair. It was so lovely.
1: <laughs> Me too. Now I have less of it. <laughs>
2: oh no come on you got it full that's really good very nice
0: aging
2: aging sucks aging sucks it's just but you know what it as my father
0: well i'd say it's better
2: better than the alternative
0: better than the alternative as my late father-in-law said who in better
2: than the alternative so so. i'm (laughs) sorry
0: so daniel um, one of the things that we do on the episode is that we ask our guests if they could leave our listeners oh, with a writing yes. exercise, a prompt.
2: So So you one of the one. things I've learned in writing plays and some short stories is that silence is really important. So and not only is silence important, but but, Having characters who don't listen is important. So my prompt is to have our listeners write two pages of dialogue where half the dialogue includes silence and the other half includes non-responsive answers.
1: Ooh, I like that.
2: Because frankly, frankly, that can create a lot of tension when you have two two characters who aren't listening to each other, who aren't responding properly to each other, and who are not fully engaged for one reason or another. And there could be many reasons why they're not engaged in the conversation. It could be because they're not good listeners it could be because they're afraid of where the conversation may go so there's all these different things that could occur so so just a couple pages of dialogue where the two characters are not are not really talking to each other and also there's a lot of silence
1: so give that a shot see what happens all right daniel what have you got going on (laughs) where can people find you if you want to be found
2: Okay, so um, my website is danielolivas.com. I'm on Twitter at Olivas Dan. And I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook. And that's on purpose. Um, and what I'm working on, I have a brand new short story collection that also grew out of my, my last story collection where I was looking at you know over 20 years worth of fiction. I realized a lot of my stories had to do with love. So, and I was writing a bunch of love stories, some very dark. One, one story in particular called My Chicano Heart, which is going to be the lead story for this collection, is currently being read by a wonderful university press, and has gone through the first review, and it's great so far, so fingers crossed. Um, the title story is going to be published by Alta Journal, and Alta Journal is one of the best literary journals in the country. And they publish four times a year. So the short story that they publish will always be illustrated um, by a wonderful um, illustrator named Victor Juhas, J-U-H-A-S-Z. And I've looked at the proofs of some of the the artwork. It's a magical realism story um, about a man on, on the night before he gets married his um, wife-to-be asks him for his heart, and he says, okay. So he opens up his chest and gives her his heart, and she keeps it in a wooden box. And um, and eventually he decides, you know what, after 10 years, he wants his heart back. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful oh. artwork. And I'm sh- right now I'm showing you the three pieces that will be in the... Um, um, that will be illustrating my short story. So I'm really excited about that. So that's the title story for my new collection. Um, I'm working always on interviews with Latinx writers for a bunch of different publications. Um, and I hope to start another play. I have a play called, oh, last night we saw uh, Dear Evan Hansen at the, um, at the Amundsen. And I want to write a musical. I've never written a musical. I have not a musical bone in my body in terms of being able to write music but I want to write lyrics. So I have a short story called um, Good Things Happen at Tina's Cafe. And it's in the collection that you're reading right now, Mabel. And 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 it's a magical realism story. And I'm thinking, I'm wanting to have, i wanting that to be a musical. So I've got to figure out, okay, how do I write a musical? And then how do I collaborate? Since I'm a member of, of the Dramatist Guild, I know they do the thing where you can try to hook up with someone and... And like collaborate. So I may use that system at some point. Love it. So that's my next goal is to write yep. a musical.
1: You can. <laughs> if any, if anyone
0: can do it, Daniel, <laughs> it is you.
1: <laughs> Daniel, I have to tell you that I uh, yep. started reading your Short Same. story collection when Daughter. I was at Disneyland, like, where I, like we stayed at the Disneyland Hotel, and I didn't want to put it down because it just, I just, i it's so beautiful the writing is incredible and i'm i can't Aww. wait to make my way through more short stories i just i loved it so much so what a gift oh and i love thank disneyland so it's, it's saying a so lot much. that i i, to love, that I, uh, I w- wanted to stay in the hotel and read instead of like going out
0: i, I was going to say your play had the same effect on me so you know whatever format you are you're writing in um for me as a reader, gosh, I really would love to see the play, see it realized on stage. But um, just reading it, it was the same thing. I just I wanted to see what was going to happen next. So So. there
2: there is a recorded zoom version of it. It's still available. Really Okay. the Road Road Theater did a version of it last year. Okay. And as part of their summer um, festival, it's available, and um, uh, Sada Guerrero um, directed that one, that version, cool. and uh, it, is, it is really quite wonderful. So, um, again, with different actors, it's so mind blowing to see how different actors like give a different a different texture. You know? mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, if you just if just type in the name of the play, um, it it will come right up in terms of of, of, of a YouTube link or some kind of link you know, onto the That's workplace. awesome. Okay.
0: Yeah. Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us on a Sunday morning. This has been a long time coming. We've been trying to plan this for a long time. So we appreciate hearing uh, all of the wisdom that you shared. And oh my goodness, people check out Daniel's writings, whether it be his short story collections, his plays. Um, this man is on fire. Oh really? well, thank
2: you for for welcoming me and giving me such a wonderful way to spend the morning to talk about uh, creativity and writing. And uh, both you, I think, bring intelligence and heart to um, to the airwaves.
0: <laughs> heart, I bring heart. <laughs> <laughs> no, I
2: no intelligence, it's plenty of it. No, is
0: the smart one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but thank you, thank you both.
0: Yeah, thank you.
2: <gasps> Tori <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh I just I enjoyed that so much I loved hearing about Daniel's life work and how he came into playwriting and what an interesting journey
1: seriously but what a great great writer oh my gosh his his <gasps> stories are just wonderful oh so
0: good so you can check out Daniel's play
1: Waiting for Godinas.
0: Waiting for Godinas. It is part of the New Works Festival at the Gary Marshall Theater. And what is so fabulous is that it's going to be virtual. So you can watch it no matter where you are in the world. If you go to uh, www.garymarshalltheater.org forward slash... New Works Festival 2022. And there's a whole list of fabulous plays that you can check out, including Daniel's really looking forward to that. It's going to premiere on Sunday, September 25th at 2 PM. That is when Daniel's is going to go up.
1: Awesome. Congratulations, Daniel. That's super exciting. Looking forward to seeing that. All right, Miss Tori.
0: All right. So, um, I'm going to I'm going to wish you uh, I'm trying to think of something really profound to say. It's not coming to me, Mabel, but just uh, I am giving you all the mojo I can for the rewrites. <laughs> to I get know, through this week, <laughs> to get through the week. Yes. But
1: I have to say the one thing that is the little light at the end of the tunnel is that we are going to go see a play this weekend in LA that I'm, I'm really excited because you and I haven't, we saw a show a few weeks ago, but that was like here. It was close by, but now we're going on a road trip to LA to go see Inda Craig Galvan's play, the great Jerry Carroll debate. Yes. And very so, much looking forward to that. Definitely looking forward to seeing the play, looking forward to spending time in traffic with you to catch up on All of the TV (laughs) that you and I have both watched. (laughs) You know, that's how I, the marker of a good friendship for me is how many TV shows we have in common (laughs) or, or recommendations. What can I learn from you as far as TV is concerned? (laughs) Yeah. I'll, I love
0: hearing what you're watching and what's in what's interesting, inspiring, or just gives you a break.
1: Yeah. Lord knows yeah. I need more reasons to procrastinate.
0: Oh my gosh. There are just so many reasons out there. So many. So many.
1: <laughs> Anyways. All right, Miss Tori. Then uh, I guess I'll see you Friday.
0: Yeah. See you Friday.
1: <laughs> and bye, everybody else. Bye, playwrights. Watch Daniel's show on Sunday. Yes. We will be yes and then we'll have all this information in the show notes so you can uh so if you didn't catch any anything it'll all be there all of it all of it tori all of it all right bye playwright bye playwright